Hello and welcome to Apocalypse Bunker Discs. Well, let's face it, in the age of melting ice sheets, the 21st century castaway is far more likely to find themselves marooned down in an apocalypse bunker than on an idyllic desert island. Each instalment, I invite a new lockaway to make a selection of music they would download with their Wi-Fi rationing, additionally a film, ebook, and artwork to see them through the isolated days. This time I am joined by Hannah and Stephen, who work together under the name Blanc Skiol, meaning White Temporary Shelter. They are, quote, sound makers, improvisers, and deep listeners. In fact, they are both certified deep listening practitioners, a form of sound-based meditation developed by innovative musician Pauline Oliveros. More on that later. Interested in the psychosonographic, expressing experience of place with field recordings, self-created instruments, found objects, voice, and text. Are we going to do that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Deep listening would take on new depths. Mm, this would be internal listening. Bunker jazz. Mm. Recent performances have included demonstrations of prehistoric instruments, fishing for sounds on the Walthamstow wetlands, and psychogeographic walks, developing new instruments using objects found along the way. Expect a wide range of selections looking back millennia, deep into the human psyche and the cosmic ripplings in cups of tea. Their studio chair proved appropriately musical. Mm. That's the purpose of the internet, was to be able to communicate when everything was fucked. Okay. Stephen was not too impressed with the necessary apocalypse emergency Wi-Fi rationing. I tried to change the subject to something more light-hearted before the first choice. Well, what pet would you have? If you I hope a mole would turn up now and again. What, did help dig you out? I don't know, just, just the idea of... Them, <laughs> or oh, God, just coming up through Maybe the worm, worm would be lovely. Would be nice. I mean, I would actually take our actual pet. Oh, Mandy. I think Mandy the cat would have to come. I'm talking of like a virtual play area. Yeah. Where the cat feels like it's in the forest or... Yeah, we could set up wheel. some grasses yeah. and... Yeah. Uh, Maybe Mandy. we could get him to power some kind of above-ground cool. turbine. The record player. The record player. <laughs> the hand-cranked record player. You are the centre of your little world And I am of mine now and again we meet for tea, we're two of a kind. This is our universe, cups of tea. We have a beautiful cosmos, you and me. We have a beautiful cosmos. What do we talk of whenever we meet? Nothing at all. You sit with a sandwich, I look at a roll. Sometimes I open my mouth, 
then shut it. We have a beautiful cosmos, you and me. We have a beautiful cosmos. Beautiful Cosmos by the Scottish singer Ivor Cutler, well known for having this very surrealist, dour delivery uh, accompanied by a very hypnotic harmonium. Mm. And uh, George Martin said even in normal conversation, he sounded as though he was mourning the loss of a dear friend. Mm. Such was his deadpan delivery yeah. at all I times. I really love Ivercon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually find his voice really uplifting sometimes. And, uh... it's, it's this sort of gravitas that he has with talking about everyday things. Yeah. Bugs eating your body. That's, yeah, that's sort of... Cups of tea. And the, and the kind of doing nothing together, mm. creating this cosmos where you can just be in existence together, mm. drinking tea, not having to do anything in particular. Does he say it in a, I open my mouth, then shut it? Then shut it, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just is that, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> I think I need to, but I don't need to. Mm. And the beautiful cosmos, it's so fitting to say that about cups of cups tea. Cups of tea. Because mm, <laughs> worlds collide in cups of tea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So many miles go into them, and mm. even if you like look into them closely, it's almost like a galaxy swirling. Yeah, and... the cosmic spiral. Mm -hmm. the spoon. Yeah, your nan reading the tea leaves. And yeah, this whole colonial history in a cup, and then all the different mm -hmm. varieties that you can get, and the. So like Japanese tea universes. ceremonies. I mean, yeah, there's mm. a lot to be said about tea. I think in that song as well, it's about this moment between two people. Yes. This mm -hmm. moment of, of having this tea that is a connecting act, a mm. ritual act that you can just sit in silence. You can open your mouth and then shut it and not have to say anything. It's with this warm, comforting mug in this beautiful cosmos you've created. Mm -hmm. I imagine him on an allotment in a shed with Phyllis. It's yeah. also, he says, that's it, you are the centre of your world and I am of mine, yeah, which mm. is it's something we talk about a lot, you know, that we mm. can only ever see from our own perspective, really, and we can encourage and, and develop our empathy and all of that to try to to understand others. But ultimately, but ultimately we are really at the centre of our own universes and, and then we can exist together from those centre points but side by side kind mm. of colliding. Trying to, yeah, get what's that shape that you get the, when the you put two circles mm. together. I'm kind of picturing a Venn diagram with two cups of tea yeah. kind of yeah, overlapping. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And the, the shape <laughs> they make in the middle. <laughs> yes, some kind of the, strange that's the connection that yeah. people seek to make. That's yeah, the, that is the chalice. It's the yeah. holy grail. The holy grail, that central cup made from the two cups. You are the centre of your little world and I am of mine. Now and again we meet for tea, we're two of a kind. This is our universe, cups of tea. We have a beautiful cosmos. You and me, we have a beautiful cosmos. During World War II, he was actually in the RAF, Ivor Cutler, believe it or not. <laughs> he was a navigator, 
But apparently he was so preoccupied with the clouds that he was ultimately dismissed. Of course he was. That's <laughs> so great. I love that. Yeah. Literally his head in the clouds. Apparently, you know, corporal punishment, quite a lot of school. He suffered quite a lot. And then when he became a teacher, one of his first acts was to stand in front of the class and like rip up the torse. So the whip, and he passed it around the students. Wow. Also, he was a member of the Noise Abatement Society. He really hated noise like, and um, music. Like drilling applause. on a Sunday and things like that. Yeah. Car engines. Yeah, the Noise Abatement well, Society. Well, it was a big worry, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Everybody. Apparently, when you walked into his house, he had a wax ear nailed to the wall with a six-inch nail and lots of ivory cutlery. <laughs> on the wall, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, well, one more, one more. That's great. If you ever saw a dog excrement on the pavement, he'd get out some chalk and draw a circle around it. <laughs> That's carried on, hasn't it? I've yeah. seen that. That's often. brilliant. I often see that. Except um, now you do street. it around a, a black plastic bag, like a murder investigation, and they draw the around the body. <laughs> Who did this? The dead, the dead thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, there's a Paul and Oliveros piece where you um, collectively decide on a sound that you're going to meditate on. Someone suggested in the group the sound of a kettle boiling. And then you meditate for 20 minutes on this sound uh, with specific questions that you're thinking about, like how does the sound make you feel, or mm -hmm. can you imagine the sound in alternative circumstances? After 15 minutes of meditating on this with those questions, we had a 45-minute hour chat of the most wide-ranging circumstances, from the macabre to the sadness to the joy and happiness, yeah. the friend, the loneliness, the time stretching, time pausing, yeah. a moment the person... Grief, oh, joy, yeah. yeah, companionship, and even our collective guilt at, at how we mistreat our kettles <laughs> when realising <laughs> they're actually oh, such yes. an important <laughs> thing. You know, how often <laughs> do you descale de your kettle? Like, oh, never. God, yeah. But, you know, but something that you use every day yeah and use in such important situations. What's wonderful is it, it often happens just by happening without needing to be discussed or analysed. It just happens through the exercises. I can become aware of something and then it can also dissipate in the same moment. So it's like a kind of cleansing process mm. without it being psychoanalytical. We've had to become quite mindful that this, this is happening to others as well around us and to be kind of careful. Yeah and to create a space that this can happen. Yeah. Quite revealing that just from a simple question like the sound of the kettle, such subjects boiled up yeah. <laughs> to the surface. Yeah. like a, a, a volcano, yes. domestic volcano. Yeah. They are, they are and they're very demanding, aren't they? It's they're true. Like, the kettle's always the thing that trips the switch. It's yeah. always the, it's it's always the it's kettle. It's a big puller of energy, that kettle. Yeah. You'll uh -huh. be sat in the bunker, wouldn't you? <laughs> God, what would you do? Oh, we can't have tea in the bunker. Oh, no, no, the kettle is... Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, good. That's oh, allowed. Yeah, we've got a kettle and... Life, um, lifetime supply of Earl Grey, please. Um, yes, you're saying you have your own sort of tea garden. Okay. Oh, right, lovely. Well. Um, yeah, that can be laid on. Maybe oh, yes. I've seen these boxes which are being developed now already. These little sun environments where you can grow plants and you can download different mm -hmm. settings and 
grow oh. plants within his boxes. So we'll get you a few of those okay. laid up. Oh, so we can so. grow our own tea. We can download the um, mm. Himalayan. Lucky we know the Himalayan <laughs> straight from the leaves. Well, yeah. Of course, I have a cut that was famous for wearing a fez quite often. Yeah. Well, apparently we went bald when he was quite young. Mm. And uh, whenever somebody said, oh, what's happened? He said, well... Grass does not grow on the top of a volcano. No. <laughs> that was his line. But uh, your next choice uh, is Andy Zombie. So Andy Zombie, yeah. He identifies as being from Sami land, so the northern part of Scandinavia right, and Europe yeah. in general. Yeah. And um, he actually wears this kind of four-pointed... Yes. cap which is a traditional Sami hat yeah I think it's called the four winds hat actually oh. yes he is a, a yoika yes, yes. yoikin well, from what I can tell it's mainly channeling animals and elements yeah. through performance yeah, yeah. You're, you're channeling everything into creation through your yoikin I think so, but I think you you're you learn from a young age to 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 sing this yoik this song. And I think you find your own... Yoik. Yeah, you find your own yoik, but which relates to something in nature, and often oh. an animal or an element. Or oh, So, so I, I think his, his yoik is a wolf. I mean, he, that's his... Yeah. But I don't think... Not every yoik is a wolf. Because like, you could yoik a cup of coffee. Y- you could choose to yoik You could yoik... Mm. And I like, yes. like the, the transition of the pan-psychism, yeah. or pan-psychic, like the idea that everything has a consciousness, yes. the cup of tea. Yes. They are singing all of those things into a reality and through them things are there so you yoik the river the stream the fish yeah it's, the it's like a way of um understanding yes. those those things by mm-hmm. creating your song for them that's yeah. how i see it. it's like a kind of there's such a rawness in, in that recording which yeah. was done by chris watson yeah world famous field recordist it's completely magical and it's very otherworldly and animistic, I guess. Is that a word? Very inspiring, like yeah, like the yeah. like Iver, of showing the way the world can be perceived by you. And yeah, different way of connecting with the world. Yeah. shaman of the Sami peoples that this was one of their main acts was yeah. to yoik and then 
And the idea is that the shaman would transform yeah. into animals, mm. and then they would turn back again. So mm. he's very much uh, in the paganism of that area. It's one of their beliefs that the shamans could actually. That's what all, all, yeah. that's what mm. sh- we yeah. try to do that with our own practice <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. But that's what mm-hmm. the shamans are all, from all cult- well, they're from certain Pacific cultures. But the mm-hmm. the person that can live a kind of a psychedelic life lives on the peripherals to be able to transcend the hypnagogic states to come back and talk to us about mm. where are the animals going being a wolf you'd know where the caribou or the the moose is yeah like yeah to, to find to be hunters, into the spirit of of, spirit. The, of you know of the weather the wind yeah to know when the winters are coming and then to go back to the tribe and go you know i've conversed i mm. i know this is massively but I important. Like, and I like the transformation isn't necessarily visual, but it's happening. Mm. We concentrate a lot in current society on the visual. Mm. And if we can't see something, we don't necessarily believe. But this, he's like, the, yeah. the sound is what's transforming him. Yeah. And we are, we are with him in the sound. You know, I don't care that he still looks like a man. I feel he is wolf Yes, that's so in true. that transformation. Yeah, I find that track very inspiring in terms of using voice and yeah. trying to free your voice and use it as a way to connect. But I have tried to yoik myself. Well, you have, well, you I have, have yoiked. yoiked. Mm. I did yoik in the Redwoods in um, Big Sur, yoiked. California, <laughs> on my own. In our own practice, there's a, that sense of going out into whatever environment, you know, urban or rural, and slowing things down and responding with directly what's around you mm. and being able to see the things like when we were at the thing on Saturday when they were saying you can't see the pixie paths or the fairy paths because you're going too quickly Yeah. where I feel like with the yoiking you're slowing everything down and celebrating and singing the things that are around you well and adding your vibration to, yes. to what is vibration and it's so mm-hmm. important yeah one of the things that did capture me when I first heard it was just the environment around his performance because it is recorded in I think yeah. Kavana so in this environment this very northern Finnmark area above Norway yeah as it goes on you can almost imagine him transforming the way his voice starts distorting and, and the breaking harmonics and, break through and yeah, yeah. There is actually a physical transformation of his voice because he's pushing it yeah. to such extremes yes, as well. Yes, it's sort of werewolfy. He's yes. like becoming this wolf through the song. Mm. He's becoming more and more of this being. But there was being. melody and tune in there before he 
Yeah. I mean, there still is, even when it starts to break, there's this and repeating, the, I've got it in my head, I can't. And it's like he also, at some point, starts to break down his humanness. It's like he's about to give up at some point. Like, he, go, go like, and then all of a sudden it disappears. His attack out with his breath is getting s smaller. Yeah, coarseness is coming in. Yeah, it's, like yeah. he's really, like you, you said, pushing it really to the. Yeah, you, it's true. You can, very, you can feel the physicality yeah. in the sound. You can imagine yeah. him like on the his knees, his like about uh -huh. to puke up. Like, <laughs> yeah. like just wrenching it out. And the way the valley is echoing all this back to him yeah. is really. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And his family background, specifically, yeah. they were reindeer herders. Okay. Yeah. So actually, he inherited a reindeer yoik. Oh. And then, as he was so virtuosic, I think that's how the wolf. Okay, so the yoik is a sort of um, connected to your um, livelihood as well, maybe. Yes, I think so. Like a lavender yeah. seller song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I have a cutler being being a part of what was the noise abatement, abatement society. society that's the reason why the lavender yeah. singers got ousted yes true because they brought in an axe because they were well, so scared about about the engine taking over our noise space that they brought in the act about noise and then that applied to the hawkers of, of lavender mm. and other mm. because they would scream and sing their songs I see. there's a story about the sami that when their religion was really being confined and, yeah. and being outlawed that they all met and buried their drums together oh, wow. in all of their mm -hmm. instruments mm. and kept their voice secret from the persecution yeah. of the, the religions that were sweeping through yeah. those regions yeah. but there's so, so somewhere somewhere there's a there's a horde of like <laughs> medicine drums. sami drums right. and, uh -huh. and musical wow. instruments that we don't mm specifically know now what they did with them and what they are. We know that there were drums, but yeah. they're in some big pit somewhere hiding. Because they wanted them not Back to be to burned earth. or destroyed by the persecutors yeah. mm. and to be in control of themselves with yeah. it. And then the voice became a more prominent thing that still exists today, which yeah. I find a kinship with some of the stuff that me and Hannah do in our own rural landscape mm. and how we try to connect with those kind of spaces yeah. That from the past in some way like oh, part yeah. of our deep listening of like yeah. listening to our ancestors or the spirit of but also of non non human things yeah yeah apparently yeah, Andrew Sombi he's also a professor of law or oh, an right. associate professor in the University of Tromso mm -hmm. and he specialises in the rights of you know these indigenous peoples okay. of, yeah. of the Sami land as well and he speaks quite often on. And it protects their rights as yeah. well. One of the main the spokesmen, really, yeah. of this culture, which yeah. is trying to protect. Because yeah. this environmental damaging world that we're kind of in, that the indigenous groups are at the forefront of protecting the world because they still see it as spirit. You can't not ignore when he sings or yoiks that there is spirit. Yeah. And then that would freak anyone out. Yeah. Like, how can I dig for oil here? 
when <laughs> yeah. it's alive and, and yeah. full of promise yeah. and full of Life spirit and, and yeah. if I anoint and say the world does not have spirit then I can desecrate it yes in whatever it, way you want which is oh, the problem oh, we're facing With your next yes. selection, you're continuing the animal transformation theme or the uh, metamorphoses in, yeah. a, in a way. So the, this piece is called Tiger Balm Ooh, yes. <laughs> by Anaya Lockwood. Mm -hmm. think of a tiger I just think of big fangs and claws big muscles weak human yeah. oh god I'm not going to mm -hmm. win this fight yeah. I'm food yeah. but then there's this beautiful animal that's purring like the domestic cat yeah. that you s mm -hmm. have in your lap and that you stroke and you have this bond with such an amazing sound so beautiful isn't it mm. this is I think where the myth of the cats with nine lives comes from because they purr, they heal very quickly because the mm. vibration of the purr actually can like mend bones. So mm. cats are self-healing when they're purring. That means our I cats constantly... Our cat purrs a yeah. lot, yes. <laughs> it's almost like an oscillation. Yes, because it's happening on their in-breath and their out-breath. Mm. I think they're one of the only um, mm. animals that can sound on the out-breath as well as the in-breath. I think the oscillation comes because of the difference of the breath direction yeah. so it's mm -hmm. continual probably one of the natural noises which has something in common with the electronic sounds which were in that era yeah. as well yeah maybe the beginning of the synthesis yeah yeah definitely yeah. Oh, and, the, and we, i mean we always talk about engines purring don't we so there is this kind of mm. well, you um, call it horsepower mechanical Horse, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do porters well, don't purr because, don't no they don't mm -hmm. purr. there's talk of like <laughs> the the of people gonna miss the purr of the engine and fetishizing the purr, when, it, when we mm -hmm. turn to electric, finally we take that, we have these silent engines, so they have these sound cards in the yeah. cars to sound like engines. Just like in a camera phone, you have yeah, the yeah. click of the, <laughs> the camera. Of the, or so the digital cameras used to have that click yeah. sound. She also only used two sounds at any one point, so you end up with this overlapping, which you might not necessarily notice if you mm. weren't listening for it as well. Yeah, that's I... true. So one sound takes over from the place of another rather than layering up, yeah. Yes, adds to the dreamlike yeah, feel the to it. Yeah, it's like a series of diptych, I suppose, like she's chosen these sounds to rub up against and mirror each other. But in doing mm -hmm. so, so she makes the, the well. piece as a field recordist 
into a piece of music that has this narration yeah. or transition that makes it musical. Yeah. At the end, you have the sound of the woman sounding panicked and having yeah. a primitive experience, and the more alarming sounds of the tiger. Yeah. You also view it as maybe her transforming into the tiger. Yeah. Or maybe、mm. translating what the tiger sounds are.、Mm. Like maybe if it's looking more at problems the tigers face, or the、yeah. kind of the fear of the tiger itself. Yeah. Like in a zoo or. They are very extinct,、yeah. aren't they? They are、yeah. a beautiful animal that's losing its environment, and it needs to have territory.、Right. You know, I spent some time in South Africa, and one evening I got woke up by a, a very deep purr, and it was、mm-hmm. a leopard eating a goat. And the only defence I had was a small nail that shut the door, the lock. That was the lock. It was a little nail that bent, and you kind of. That stopped.、Right. And that was your weapon. That was well. That was the only my only defence was a door to shut <laughs>、oh, it. Oh, I see. And, to, like... and then the lock was a nail, <laughs> and it was so deep, and、yeah. it brought about a very strong fear. A primal fear. A、yeah. primal fear of、yeah. when we were being hunted. We were leopards、savannah. were the ones that ate、yeah. us most. Yeah. That was our primal thing that did eat us、mm. when we were prey、mm. on the savannas.、Mm. Tiger, tiger,、uh, burning was, bright. Yes. I mean, it's like、mm-hmm. very yeah, archetypal, like scary beast that would eat you. <laughs> Apparently, tiger balm is camphor and yeah, it's an amazing menthol. Yeah, I use it for insect bites all the time. It's a muscle relaxant. It's a、well. muscle. Yeah, it's like a Vicks type. You can use it for all sorts of things. What I learn through having this cat that does purr a lot. And he has these different purrs,、oh, and I was reading about purring, and I didn't know that sometimes the purring is a nervous or a sign of distress. It's not always、yeah. a sign of contentment. Yes, that it、mm. could also be a signalling danger or distress. And environmentally, it is the the engine that's so similar that is actually driving the economic and environmental impacts on the tiger, on us well, as humans, everything. everything. Yeah, that's a. Quite a deep, a full, yeah, yeah, full circle. Full circle. We yeah, could, we could, chasing yeah. his tail. Oh my god, chasing his tail. Got this wonderful、um, album, which is all glass sounds,、mm. and Stephen uses a lot of glass,、like um, glass. Yeah. in our work and water. A lot of her recordings、mm. are of water. 
she's done a piece all about the Hudson River and、mm, and she also had the the、mm. piano transplants as well the pianos which she set on fire yeah, or drowned、right. in the lake. We saw one of her pieces at LCMF. <laughs> it was like the biggest and littlest piano or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they yeah. had a, so they had a big grand piano and they opened、yeah. the lid and this little. Piano flew out、oh, right. <laughs> um, and floated、uh, along on this balloon. And she's got a strong connection with Pauline Oliveros. There's a lovely piece of audio online of her and Pauline Oliveros the first time they actually meet. Since January first, nineteen seventy-two, I've had a series of dreams about you, or featuring you. <laughs> This was on June twenty-fourth.、Uh, there's a big dinner party at our place. And、there's an underground cave-like feeling. The guests start arriving. First, there are a few children, unexpected. One or two are black. Many friends are present. There's a happy atmosphere. Anna Lockwood arrives with Harvey Madisau and others. She is sitting in the bow of a boat, a grand presence. She is bowing her front teeth, making high, strange sounds. They come in. I take the bow and try bowing my teeth. I am at first unsuccessful. Then I manage a sound. It is a high whistling sound. I try to light the candles at my table. The candle is in a strange form, one mass with many wicks. If I light the wrong wick first, I might burn my hand lighting the others. Then the dream stops. Then.、Mm. Very neat, very neatly. Yes, <laughs> that's a very perfect dream. Oh, you mean you you have bowed your teeth? The <laughs> only <laughs> you were really let me say wonderful in arriving in the boat because the boat came in very very surely, you know, just and you were. Boats do. They always just glide、uh, absolutely certainly for them, especially、oh. in an underground uh, uh, environment. River? No, <laughs> the water. Yeah. So following Anaya Lockwood, you have the, the musician who coined the term deep listening、mm. in Pauline Oliveros and Bye Bye Butterfly. Yeah, Bye Bye Butterfly, I suppose, is this iconic piece because it was like her eulogy to a bygone era. She hoped. I actually wrote the quote down to bid farewell to the system of polite morality of that age and its attendant institutionalized oppression of the female sex. Yeah, like saying, "See ya" to、uh, the patriarchy. I think it's、um, brilliant. <laughs> and also, we were saying on the way, you know, often when you listen to music from. A while ago, yeah, you can forget how radical it was at the time, and you have to have a, another listening from within、if、the context if you can. So this was, I think, nineteen sixty-four. Yeah. So to be using this piece of classical music, so famous, Madame Butterfly, and then completely distorting it and adding these what at the time would have still been quite weird sounds, I guess. Well, because for, tape for, came for about, didn't、hear. it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And tape then one gave, of the first、mm, people experimenting gave, with tape、mm-hmm. loops and tape gave people and freedom as well. And synthesizers and yeah. What would this actually have sounded like? It must have been completely nuts and radical.
And also I like this chance thing that Madame Butterfly just happened to be yes, yeah. the piece of music that was in the studio at the time that she just okay. decided to use. So chance things often become really right for the moment or really poignant somehow. And also, yes, yeah, sort of metamorphosis. It's another animal. But there's is. definitely a theme going on, isn't there? An animal that From wolf yeah. to tiger actually, to butterfly. Yeah. An animal that actually flies in the face of patriarchal idea of evolution. Does it? Yeah. Well, you work out, how does a wormy, maggoty oh, I see. thing turn of, into yeah. a, this majestic... Metamorphosis. So it, yeah. Yeah. You know, it turns into a liquid, and somehow that liquid remembers how to form itself as a yeah. as a butterfly. Yeah. Freaks the hell out mm. of natural selection, yeah. doesn't it? Of course, it's all quite sinewy, like a lot of the electronics she uses, these high-pitched sounds. Mm. Apparently, like moths, and I think butterflies, if you, for example, jangle some keys, they'll all just start flying Makes in different them. directions. Oh. And yeah, but wow. oh, well, so that must yeah. be the, bat, the um, ultrasound. Ultrasound. Mm. So jangling keys do, are picked up on the ultrasound. Yeah, because when you have a bat detector, you can jangle keys and you get this This friction. is ultrasound, yeah. so you can oh, pick that okay. up as well. Yeah, that's quite a nice mm. analogy, that mm. the sound waves mm. are mm. there. They are these ultrasounds. Kind of thin... are, yeah, I like mm. that. Mm. Yeah. There's a wonderful picture of a light that's got time lapse with all the moths. This big ball of insects flying around. Oh talking about how mm. light pollution is really destroying the insect world. Yeah. And us leaving on lights, like the one that we've told the, the car mechanics, please switch it off, yeah. it's like the moon shining into our bedroom. Yeah. That must just confuse the hell yeah. out of moths. Yeah. and Because mm. for them, the only light is the moon. There's quite a strong synergy of all yeah. of the tracks of human disrupting the natural world. Or connection too, yeah, both, <laughs> both things. We've heard deep listening, or like the, the idea mm. of the sounds. She got given a tape recorder. When she was a kid, yeah. And she recorded outside of her window. And then when she played it back, it was starkly different from what she was hearing. Mm. So this gave her these thoughts about how we listen and... How much we're not hearing. Yeah. Being able that to record me. sound can have a feedback loop to your own mm, sense of what there. sounds are there and how much more you could hear. Mm, like a photograph gives you more of a sense of your environment. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. My, my favourite line is probably, walk so silently that the bottom of your feet become ears. It's on the wall. Oh, then. it's on the wall. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that is one of the scores. Trump song meditation. Yeah, it's called okay. native. Just the idea of actually your feet becoming ears, the idea of thinking about it and then experiencing it, how it really opens up that you are using your whole body to listen. Yeah. And that takes a bit of um, adjusting. It's on a very a strange spectrum of challenging the way that we navigate in our everyday life. And it can't but have a quite a big effect on Yeah, you. it's an awareness practice, I think, and that opens up a lot of doors. And well, one of the early uses of sampling, really. Mm. But I feel like with her references, she'd probably be thinking more of 
Duchamp and the kind of the ready-made objects and yeah. then using it in sound. And I could almost see the piece as being like an essay or like a protest song as yeah. much as it is a musical composition Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Like we yeah. often, when we go out and make a track from an environment that we've chosen to go into, we find objects to make into sound objects, mm. which is no different from her finding that piece of music that mm. happened to be... Yeah, the that wild... becomes a found object in that yes. piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, And that, yeah. that's a really interesting... Yeah. Like, we're all doing it. Like we, Our natural environment is to find out what's around us that can then become what we're trying to convey yeah. out. This was a woman that grouped together lots of women to find... A narrative within, with outside of the patriarchy, and come up with the deep listening with Eloisa Gold and yeah. Caroline Ione. and they would go to these retreats and not talk to each other and communicate through vocal sounds or through listening and direct experience of each other to and find develop it. a new language, which was very female. I find it absolutely I fascinating, and at the same time, you know, being of the Tape Institute, the Tape, tape was. So massively important to move away from live scenarios so tape allowed you to be able to do things in the studio record it and then mm-hmm. compose it yeah. at, as you would listen to it on a, on a record yeah so this was a massive freedom for musicians yeah of her to be there right at the beginning yeah. of that to f- throw the shackles off conventional classical music uh, i was told i shouldn't make music when i was at school when someone of that Caliber, Annie Lockwood and others, they're all pushing away from this. Yeah. Trying to develop a new and we consider his music. Yeah. yeah. I had some classical training when I was younger and then a break from music making and then a rediscovery through the experimental improvised process. Mm -hmm. It just connected something for me and like you said, it gave me another way of seeing music of all traditions from this listening point of view. started noticing the uh yeah the sound environment here yeah just in my right ear construction yeah. and rain at the moment yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. prayers oh, yeah sometimes okay. singing from the church there but mainly um, construction mainly construction okay and the churning of cement how do you feel about wearing headphones walking around i don't concert? actually i don't ever often d- no ever do at it, all really. mm. i suppose there's always the chatter in your head and there's always some side of your brain that's constantly talking to you. And in different cultures, they call it many things. And in her practice, there's a way of calming that, actually. The headphone culture is putting everyone themselves in their own individual bubble. And it's to stop that. You know, I cycle to work and I don't have headphones in purely for safety. But I quite like my thoughts in my head. Uh, but really also the environment, I mean, I, I really <laughs> just, I just find it quite disconnecting not to be able to hear what's around me. Yeah. Would you say Pauline Oliveros is your main influence? Because it's odd with her. Some of her music's terrible. <laughs> and some of it's really beautiful and amazing. Sometimes within the deep listening community, you can find a lot of people like a cult in her. Yeah. Oh dear, Pauline and the Pauline T-shirt. And we're definitely right. not Pauline whatever. I don't <laughs> see her as a guru. We're not disciples. <laughs> yeah, we're no. not disciples right. at no, all. But no, but, but I would say her work's had a, a big influence. In the beginning, we were 
following John Stevens yeah, in his community music book, Search and Reflect, was yeah. pretty much a, a lovely, for improvisers, a very important book to read. Mm. He's very much talked about the pause. The beat and the space and then the beat, yeah. So you, you can only have music if you have the beat and the silence and then the second beat. Right. So that, that's kind of his premise of like yeah. the space within that makes the, the uh, that creates yeah. yes opposites create each other mm-hmm. yeah and we had a, a surreptitious room at the Belfront, Belfront Tower for a oh, while okay. that was we never studio. rented it we didn't give them any money we, yeah because it was a contentious spot yeah. and yeah started this group to come together to experience this search and reflect work a few exercises at the beginning which you just go around the circle and half of you are one and half of you are two and you're just trying to keep the same rhythm, one, two, one, two, going around saying your numbers. So yeah. it becomes this very hypnotic trance-like chanting of mm. this ryth- rhythm, beat space, beat space. Recorded it on this CD. Yes. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. There was a great anecdote from Evan Parker, mm. who was like one of the main saxophonists yeah. in the um, ensemble. He said he had two basic rules, John Stevens. If you can't hear another musician, you're playing too loud. Yeah. And the other one was, if the music you're producing doesn't regularly relate to what you're hearing others create, why be in a group? Yeah. And he said they called it insect improv. Because, because the music would always be really quiet and uh, atonal, arrhythmic, and lots of space yeah. because of these rules that he set yeah. down. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. we were in our little room, 24 floors up, with a, the most wonderful view of London, we'd be in a circle going one, two, three, four, and then you'd get into these rhythms. They would swap them and you'd be in pairs, and the twos would all come together, and the threes and the fours. And you start getting this very interesting rhythmical pattern coming along and all of a sudden you go, right, let's all swap it for individual instruments and keep to the same mm. perspective. Mm. Wonderful piece of music yeah. that just appeared just purely through this antidotal yeah. exercise of counting. Yeah, and all of a sudden, short charts. You know, someone verse. would have a drum, a whistle, a set of keys. And a strange collection of, of yeah. Of strange, of, of, and it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Click. click piece yes. yeah. yeah and there's a real but, freedom in his work as well yeah with voice which has again a very strong connection with pauline's work well yeah i think that's why we chose this sustained piece because it, it's this vocal piece which reminds us a lot of doing vocal sonic meditations and yeah it often creates this kind of accidental chorus fluctuating oh, it's, mm. it's normal um, to happen it sounded very different to the usual choral Mm. arrangement that you'd have there was just something very spectral mm. about it for me as well 
it's unarranged but arranged you're following a sort of set of instructions as to when to sound or how to sound This piece, when we listened back to it yesterday, also reminded us of another the project that we'd just done. Yeah, the Animal Choir with another artist, Connie Prentera. So we created a sort of semi-improvised score at Cafe Otto recently. I think there was about 12 of us mm. in this choral group, exploring our animal selves, a bit of yoiking in there, non-human ways of sound making. But he was doing um, that stuff in the 80s. Yeah, and then we listened back to this piece and we were like, guys, sounds exactly the same. Well, it sounds exactly like <laughs> yeah. it. Although know, the animals mostly... They're not chickens or cats. <laughs> yeah, I'm There's curious as to which. There's a goose. There is, yeah, Mark, Mark's, well, Mark's Mark is a goose. Mark's goose is more his spirit animal. Yeah, the idea was not mm. to emulate an animal sound, but more to kind of connect with how a certain environment makes mm. you sound, connecting with the properties of that sound rather than mimicry. If you are an animal, being it yeah. very peculiar, yeah. mm-hmm. what animal yeah. are we? Yeah. That's what we're getting at, this like kind of non-human sound within humans. And the beyond language sound within yeah. humans. John Stevens was very much interested in, he started a thing called community music, where he basically was saying that a certain group in society had lost their sounds, they had lost their music making, mm-hmm. and that we need music making. And in oral tradition, we've got the folk tradition, but there was other music that's been lost within maybe the working classes, but I, I don't like those analogies. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's a certain group, especially me in some sense, it reminded me of being told, no, music's not for you. Mm. And he very much wanted to challenge that, and it's still going today. There's Mm. a charity where they allow people who haven't got the money or the means but have the will to set up a band, to play an instrument, and it's for free. You have to be under the age of 18. for young people, yeah. But at the same time, that's still prevalent from what he was trying to do. 
thing about having to read music. That's part of this confining institution that yeah. makes you think that if you can't read what someone 500 years ago wrote on the page and play it exactly mm. like it was written, well, then you're not musical. And that's at the heart of the bullshit of... Because yeah. it's not about John says it's you've got to be out, if you can count to two. For me, reading, yeah. reading you're in, music. You're in yeah, the band. Exactly. <laughs> you're in the band. And reading music <laughs> should be returned maybe as like, like can you listen? Mm. You know, if you can listen, you can make sound. Yeah. And everyone can listen and everyone can make mm. sound. I feel like he's an unspoken mm. musical hero mm. within a London impro jazz. improvisation scene, which yeah. is having a bit of a resurgence right now. And it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. yeah. Next up. Well, from a similar period, 1975, we have uh, Alvin Curran and his songs and views from The Magnetic Project Garden. Garden. Mm -hmm. I found a line from a writer from The Wire who uh, I could only identify as C. Parker. He compared this album, like each piece, to one of Joseph Cornell's boxes, those assemblages rather, yeah. he made. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a great idea because you get all these really interesting choices of like found sounds and instruments collaged into these, these yeah. soundscapes. Yeah, just so beautifully arranged. It is like that. Objects just carefully placed in the exact right place, these sound objects, mm. but then they create this round world of, mm. of sound. I also love the title of the sort of songs and views yeah. from the Magnetic Garden because it makes you think of this strange garden of objects and, mm. and energies, this magnetism drawing the mm -hmm. sounds together in various ways. Yeah, I love the titles on this album as well, like Crystal Airs, Oh My Satin Harp, and Harmony Ranch is the last track. The chemistry between the words yeah. just in the title is so yeah. evocative, and the choice of instruments is so surprising as well. At the first track, it has like wind samples, high-tension wires, samples of swallows, and then an mbuti trumpet. Yeah. And so it's just such yeah. a diverse world, but also very refined and mm. curated at the same time. Yeah. His voice is so... It's amazing, his voice. <laughs> like the Yoiku. Mm. You believe it. There's this moment when he's doodling with a melody and then yeah. all of a sudden it becomes more dominant. Yeah. Really beautiful. And then the trumpet comes in. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, the arrangement is just... Perfect. Really beautiful. us in the bunker 
and then we've harked back to the 70s. Yeah. In yeah. some really bizarre way. And then that's the dilemma of the we ideology right now with what's going on. It's like, they're going to bring us back to the 70s. And when I look at this list, I'm like, yeah, please bring us back to the 70s. Because there seems to be a sense of freedom there, exploring and... We don't live in a linear world. No, it time. I don't believe it's all cyclical. Mm. We, we know this through our direct experience of our so-called seasons. Maybe at that time something was going on and it's coming back round again. relate to the elements he uses because we use similar elements you know the field recordings and voice and mm. found objects and you certainly have a sculptural background and treat composition very much like sculpture someone said this actually after the last gig we did he said it was like we had this block of silence and we were carving it up with the mm -hmm. sounds chipping away at the silence by placing these sounds in very specific places when i first heard alvin's work i was like god i'd love to make music like that yeah Makes me feel glad that Italy has an Alvin Curran. But he's actually American. Oh, right. Yeah. He moved to Italy oh, know, right. like a long I, time ago. Oh, well, then that's me being silly then. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I presume that he met someone, but I'm not quite sure. So we got to go to Supersonic Festival in Birmingham hmm. and then there was a buzz around, we've all got to go and see Daniel Higgs. Well, who is this Daniel Higgs guy? Hmm. We sat and watched him, it was amazing. Like he says, it's like a, the Fool's Sermon. It was this like this bardic yeah. orator, like speaking some Into universal the truth. <laughs> O clot of spirit, O atom in the void, O pilgrim particle created and destroyed, gruel for the crazies, milk and honey for the wise, the cocoon upon the cross awaits the appointed time. Summer bears winter's whisper betwixt the autumn leaves as snowflakes to the furnace fall the ripening sheaves too grim, too euphoric too solemn, too perfect, 
too beautiful to be borne aloft the strong and many-shouldered discipleship of song, the shadow of the essence cast by the echo of the form. Like the sermon of something that's going to happen, but then relating back to the 2,000 years of Christian narrative, Mm. but then taking in all the aspects of like us going to the moon and seeing the earth as this jewel in the universe or in the cosmos, and then Carl Sagan turning the camera around on Voyager and seeing that mode, the particle floating. Mm. Someone 2,000 years ago could never relate to the way that we perceive and see the world now. Mm. But there are some linkages yes. and some narratives that the kind could of symbolism be, that but the idea that threads. you could take someone from 2,000 years ago and stick them in the crowd of Daniel Higgs's gig and no one would know. Before even language, people looked pretty much like we all do. Yeah. I think some of some other problems that we find ourselves in, and probably while we're in the bunker, is that there's a narrative that's being spun, that we're being controlled by within mm. systems that we all know is not quite right, mm. actually, and it's not mm. quite real. Mm. And he was preaching it from the way we got the Gospels or the way we got mm. information of how to live our lives as humans. Called to arms, in a way, isn't yeah. it? You know, this Lazarus, come out, come out. Lazarus, we actually looked this up yesterday, is the person in the Bible who Jesus brings to life after he's been dead for four days. So mm-hmm. Lazarus is this symbol of resurrection. Mm. Rebirth and the phoenix from the ashes. Mm. He's calling you to come alive again mm. in a new way to really embrace the cosmos and be this pink pilgrim particle just mm-hmm. bobbing, bobbing along. You must testify this love is real and know the healing of the nations is soon to follow. If you are near it, or you are alongside it, between certainty and doubt, hear the voice of the Master calling, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus. But he is the preacher of the psychedelic yeah. renaissance that we're in right now, of trying to reimagine our future. The reason why we have a lot of the things that we have, even when we go into the bunker, I keep I love it, yeah. but of the yeah. internet, <laughs> it's the way that's been a massive revolution, an information revolution, that people are starting to realise that you, you, we're in it, we're, mm. it's happened, mm. and this is mm. a new way of perceiving or seeing our lives. He seems like he's captured that. Mm. But from this religious perspective, yeah. like the way a sermon would yeah. tell you how the world is outside yeah. if you're not in it. The line which stuck with me was uh, human beings are the greatest vessel yes. makers in, in the, the entire, entire galaxy. galaxy. Yeah. But well, that's a narrative that's been spun that we, we're made to live on the earth and look after it and till the land and be the, mm-hmm. the guardians of the trees and the animals. Or we use all the resources and get the fuck off of this planet and go and explore the galaxy. And then the yeah, fact Elon is that... Elon Musk would have you believe. Yeah. Well, there's a new series I just watched called Mars, and it talks about the first colony of Mars, and it's done like auto-documentary style, and then it goes to Elon Musk. Yeah. 
Greenpeace, people mm -hmm. protesting about the world, and then them using the resources to get off the world. And then there's Naomi Klein that comes in and goes, this battle's about ideology. It's about how you perceive and want to live in the world that you want to live in. Yeah. And that's that one group that perceive this, kind of, and there's another group that's perceiving that. Yeah, it's, it's still, I can ask you this. Mm. Are we in the bunker and they've all left for Mars? Yeah. Or do we want to be going to Mars, leaving someone in a bunker? It's Whoa. hard because I generally am of the belief that I would like to save this planet and live here because I think it's mm. a beautiful place to live. Oh, well done. I don't really have a desire to go to Mars, but if all that's left is one bunker mm. and we're in it and that's it, then I'm not sure. Because you can imagine with, with that <laughs> line. I feel a bit lonely. Drop everything for just a moment now and allow your heart to perceive. Because, as a wise man once said to me, human beings are the greatest vessel makers in the entire galaxy. Witness the wonder weaving, the gentle and the cruel. Adopt the manner and the gesture of a nonsense talking fool. Drinking pure reflection from the surface of the pool. Eyes wide. We are the best vessel makers. We are the greatest mm -hmm. vessel makers yeah, in the entire and, uh, and that's what's brought there? about us where we are today. The, the idea of modernism or the, the, the way we perceive or understand the world is because we have conquered, we have moved, we have mm. migrated. And we shape material, mm. shaping matter. Dreaming matter. Yeah, making tools to, yeah. to do other things or... Just Everything's an song. extension of, uh, of yeah, ourselves. Yeah. So like the internet is telepathy or like it's the ether, the idea yeah. of you know, if a rat in Australia goes in a maze then all rats around the world will know what that maze is. The and collective he, consciousness. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is sometimes what I feel like he's talking about, mm. the sermon of that. Mm. <laughs> Raw particles whizzing around the maze. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Your next choice, they're called the International Nothing. It's called Empty Your Pockets. But looking at the album art, keeping the animal theme going. In doubt we trust turtles and jellyfish. Yeah. Uh, mainstream. I spotted a hippo and an armadillo, mm. and the one which this album's taken from, it has some kind of birds or pterodactyls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 dinosaurs. The so dark side of success. This Ooh. is from a clarinet duo. Yeah. yeah. And yet they're taking something with a loungy reputation or for being very mm. soft and they're pushing that arrangement to its extreme. Yes, I love the microtonal mm -hmm. um, yeah. world that they create and the oscillation that you get from those really close tones. And that you can hear all the breath mm. and that it's a very considered delicate arrangement. And then it, every sound that could be made is part of the music. Yeah. So the scratch or the movement of the, the instrument, the key the sound, key sound yeah. and just that the everything on it, the body, the material, not just the notes that you can get, is the music. Mm. And then mm. even yourself, the breath, the length of your breath, your capacity of your lungs. Mm.
like a microscope of sounds mm. kind of they describe themselves as a psychoacoustic clarinet duo thinking about the psychological intricacies of mm. playing and how that might affect your listening experience so they also consider them as sound sculptures as well mm. that's why we like them yes, like them. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they use multiphonics beach frequencies and difference tones the music doesn't begin from the mind of one musician but relies instead on the ears of both mm. and on the long collective process of trying failing changing and developing ideas during numerous improvisations until a piece is brought into its final shape I like this bunker. Of, uh, We're in this yeah. bunker. We're gonna we gonna yeah. go somewhere with this stuff. Yeah. Maybe subconsciously, mm. being confined and you're only allowed a microtone of stuff. What you want is you consider really what you want you really mean. dense stuff mm. to, to to get your teeth into. Yeah. We have, um, came across them through the artist Kath Matthews and we met through doing an interesting piece in Victoria Park with these sonic bikes. So these sonic mm. bikes, Kath's created these bikes with two speakers and they use a GPS system yeah. so you can create a map of an area where when you're riding through that area on the bike different yeah. sounds come onto the speakers when you go into that GPS area. Then we came together for mm. the climate march as an animal created. choir. We mapped from London Fields to the march with animal sounds. Mm. So as we rode through the yeah, streets... It was a spectacle. We, we went through the mm. Oxford Circus yeah. as a screaming band of monkeys, yeah. gorillas, um, amazing, wolves. Actually. And it filled the whole street yeah. of these like animals. And it was like shopping, yeah. you know, mad mm. shopping. We had masks everywhere. on ourselves yeah. of animals. Your selection's probably the longest I've been presented with, lots of as mm. well. Yeah, we do like it mm. durational. And I think the next one is particularly temporally focused. Mm. So I'll try to get this right. It's Coil. Yes. And they produced an album called Time Machines. Each track was named after a different chemical compound or drug. The one you've chosen is 7-methoxy-beta-carboline, or telepathy. Mm. Do you feel like they were trying to replicate the experience of each drug with each track? Well, we like that thing of the time stretching, what that time lag of sometimes in meditation, in any path of trying to... Yeah, expanding yeah, your awareness. Yeah. But that's in that music, which they were mm. finding that when they were playing, that's what was happening to them. Yeah, they were having these time slips where time would seem to go in a different way. Which, which happens, is what happens when we play music. I think that's what's happening to you when you put yourself in those states, like the Yoikin, that with short songs, even though that Ivor Cutler can demonstrate that these one-liners can have so much weight, that within so having a bit more time, and like what the International Nothings just pointed out, that 
in it there's this negotiation of getting things right and wrong and then coming to the final piece yeah. or a piece yeah. that you can all sit with and it seems like when that album even when you listen to it that's what's happening with themselves they're along this extremely interesting journey I mean, they've been very specific on this album by calling them yeah. these four names which relate to these psychedelic drugs. So I guess they're trying to, in some mm. way, give this sense of time expansion that happens when you are on a... Because time is elastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, how quick time goes in one state of mind compared to another. Mm. When you're really in, in something, time can just disappear, or when you're more... Mm -hmm. fractured or then it can and music is so slow. all about mm. that isn't yeah. it it's yeah yeah when they asked uh, john balance about the project and about the you know the drug references he said that he actually viewed it more through the lens of like sort of ancient tibetan music and that's yeah. actually where the seed of this project came from initially was that he was thinking about rituals which would go on for two or three days yeah. Yeah. and uh, quite often with a musical thread to them yeah. and the abstraction of time from the clock yeah. that we tether it to. Mm. Yes. It's about this release from that. Yeah, from Kronos um, into Eon time. You can really hear that Dean. Tibetan monk uh, vocalising comes through in the, like the, in the synth drones. Yeah, yeah, that oscillation voice again yeah. hovers at a point but then mm. the filters up a little bit yeah. and it does have an effect mm. on the find when it does just slightly yeah. move in a certain direction yeah. it's quite persuasive. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's probably doing things to your brain waves isn't it? So when he, they talk about the psychedelics in their tracks, but then they're relating it to these time rituals within Zen Buddhism, there are two different paths. Where Terence Mika says that when you, you go on and you're like, you know, breathing and you're doing some ritual that's taking a few days, the Kundalini thing going and something will happen and you're in bliss and stuff. And it's in the psychedelic, it's fucking weird. <laughs> it's so weird. I can't believe how weird it is. In all the gurus and the religious stuff, not mundane, but it's all so passive. To him, too, he says they're too blasé. They're too blasé. It's not incredulous enough. 
I think in some way there are a lot of similarities with the states that are that are reached. But the the yogic practice, if you spend ten years meditating to get to a certain, that's ten years is quite a long time, and you've maintained an attachment to a normal reality life throughout that. Whereas to take a big yeah, hit, I, I can, you go somewhere directly. But he's saying that there's something more. You can get to a certain level going into bliss which is what zen buddhism talks a lot about connecting to this bliss state but he's talking about is to break free from the conventions that everyone puts themselves in so he's saying that he finds it disingenuous that where he's gone this is odd you never hear like a yogic teacher going where you're gonna have you done this for 10 years where you're gonna go is somewhere that you really really weird and you're not really gonna understand what the hell's going on so I find yeah, it quite interesting it, that those yeah. two within coil, those two wells, they're melding, and in that music, it's there. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I'm with them, but at the same time, Gosh, where yeah. one's keeping us tethered to the world, and the and other one's taking us to Mars. Of- language that's used to describe those Mm. different traditions is very different maybe the experiences are actually more similar but the language keeps them separate because they're from such different worlds my memory of reason buddhism exists was because they were basically a massive warring nation and nearly killed each other to extinction and then went oh this isn't gonna work is it (laughs) if we kill each other all off then where are we gonna go from there yeah and then went on a massive journey inward and then we know that actually there is a contention that is Zen or Buddhism a religion and then in the Western kind of ideology it is but from a tradition of the people that that study Buddhism the Tibetans say no it's not it's a way of life it's just a philosophy yeah then we have the question how many philosophies that we've had that then have turned into a religion, yes. And then is Daniel Hicks yes. a philosopher, or Terence McKenna, or some of the people that we're kind of referencing in? In a hundred years, will they be a thousand? Will Pauline years become, a, you know, her practice? Do, does a practice become mm. a religion, yeah. or yeah, where does the religion end and uh, yeah. philosophy a philosophy begin? Or, yes. or vice versa. Yeah. I think you've been through the clothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get a uniform for your philosophy, then yeah. it becomes, then it becomes a religion. A religion yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> Close. So uh, your last piece is thinking about issues around Alzheimer's and memory loss, and how music can be a gateway for people um, who have Alzheimer's and similar mm-hmm. um, diseases. They they can um, get a gateway back to the past through music. Mm. The caretaker. The track you've chosen from an empty bliss beyond this world, all you're going to want to do is to get back there. Mm. Yes. In the bunker. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's quite apt a selection for the bunker, maybe, because it's very nostalgic mm-hmm. sound using these records that you found old recordings of ballroom music. But he's purposely, in those recordings, made it 
durational as well like so it starts to degrade all the way through yeah, de- degrades and, he and we know that the 78s or the people that listen to 78s are starting to disappear i think it's mirroring the way memory degrades and it? i took you on a date didn't i yeah our first date was to go see Leyland kirby right the caretaker just a measure mm-hmm. and then if she didn't like it that was it we're over, it's over it didn't even I begin <laughs> and she loved it and we're, we're still with each other yeah. after seven mm. magical more, more years than, yeah. <laughs> more than seven years i sins we joined the, the jumble trowel of forest gate and met the neighbors by selling our unwanted wares on our doorstep, our doorstep. It's great. Mm-hmm. and then out of the window i was playing Leyland kirby and then a few people were like this is really nice music well it's, it's interesting that reaction even my daughter said that yeah right? and my family when we had it on when they came round because it creeps in mm-hmm. like this and it's very comforting mm-hmm. we've been to blackpool a few times and it oh, right. it's like reminds oh, me of this of a worldly victorian seaside. Kind of seaside yeah uh-huh. yeah which right. and it's almost mm-hmm. a false sense of security because he builds that up but then it, it slowly degrades like this empty bliss i went to see a really mm-hmm. interesting lecture on hauntology and it was mark fisher talking about it who we could say is one of our greatest modern philosophers sadly he's not here anymore but he introduced me to Leyland Kirby's music uh, through this idea of nostalgia and what it means for us to feel nostalgic Mm -hmm. about things and how it has some power and actually can be quite destructive and then as like Alan Moore pointed out the other day since Britpop has turned up our culture has been pretty nullified yeah and the subcultures aren't coming through to knock mainstream culture into the ballpark a lot of our tracks are harking back to the 70s <laughs> yeah i know it's like you've got him harking back <laughs> to yeah, the 20s to the or the 40s apparently he got the collection just in a single like ten dollars in brooklyn i think they might have even been from the same person Mm. So I like to think so anyway, that maybe the records themselves were together, mm. so that he might have had this fiction of, or reality of yeah. there being a person in mind yeah. when he started to put this together project. that concept yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, and then at the same time, there's this study into Alzheimer's that we could argue now is one of the biggest threats. Alzheimer's is a problem for us because mm. we're living longer. Yeah. So in the bunker what are we going to do about our Alzheimer's? Yeah. What's going to happen? We're going to stick cats, this record you know? on and feel oh, fine. Yeah. 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 So these, uh... 
Also, his treatment has something in common with the Bye Bye Butterfly, like the way yeah. that she uses that sample as well. It's also quite distanced. Yeah, it's true. It's like in the, the background fading away. Yes, and the she's... crackle becomes more prominent than yeah. the... Yeah, and it's like she's saying, you know, this is going into the past. Yeah. He's, he's showing people who are holding on to the past, and yet still it's mm. fading away. And also the tracks always end very abruptly. It's this dream, and then it just yeah. stops. Which is yeah, what our exactly. records used to happened didn't they they were like mm-hmm. and then it's finished Talking about the two-day rituals and the yes. <laughs> lactodrom translates as safe journey. Mm. From 1993, oh. uh, the French director Tony Gatliff follows Romani people in their journey from northwest India to Spain and the musical culture which they bring with them mm. and maybe pick a few things up along the way. Yeah. It's a yeah. total musical journey of yeah. a tribe of humans on this land and how. Mm. That music has its root, but also has its cultural surroundings that mm. then influences mm. it. How the other perceives yeah. that person and their place in the world. Mm. It's just joyous as well. Maybe it's also nostalgic. Sort of makes me yearn for a time when we all well, nomadic. made well, maybe nomadic, but more that music was part of everyday life in mm-hmm. within families and communities. That natural ease with which. It seems yeah. they sing and they pick up instruments and they dance and it's just all right there. And there also there was a lot of male-female interaction, which is beautiful, like the, the Indian sort of marriage yeah. one that's going on, and mm-hmm. this lovely flirting that's happening between the bride and the groom and the other women. There's lovely links between the old and the young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That it's cross-generational. Ten, that and, tender yeah. scene of the guy just playing the string. Going, eh, eh, yeah. With that young that. boy teaching him, yeah. passing things down. Yeah. There's an aroundness of human feeling that's there. journey of it being this like you're watching this energy passing through people yeah, and the land and the land yeah 
and it's a spirit yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> Nomadic lifestyle of not being anchored to the land or where you are yeah. means that there's a lot more freedom of expression within yourself and others. And that's probably why you could say the Romani culture is frowned upon, even to this day, of the freedom. I had spent some time in Romania, in Transylvania, and then there was this moment we were going to do some willow workshop with some young kids. We were part of this festival thing that was going on. We came across a group of Romani people peeking rose hips mm. and then the guy that we were traveling around was oh do you want to go and meet them and i was like yeah i would and i went and there was a wildness and they told us what they were doing yeah and it was a humanness that i've not experienced in any culture that i've ever come across and kind that of feel resilience of knowing your place in this cosmos mm. of knowing who you are of knowing the pitfalls, and not, cultural... not being sheltered by um, bricks and mortar and, mm. and uh, this sense of stability and economy, you know, mm. all of those kind of trappings of the modern, it's like the circus. There's this lure of, of these, of, mm. these the dream world. of people That's that, the that dream world. can move around and understand the land they're moving through and find sustenance wherever they are. So you're telling me how just outside from your yes. studio you have yeah. a sort of disused lot which you think might be possibly developed it at will some be. point. Yes. But there's a caravan, but it's been improvised into or extended into a house pretty much. Yeah. So we hadn't been here maybe a few days and we came and they'd all disappeared and the, the, these mounds of rubbish were left. And there's some people living also in the derelict building just sort of mm. behind there and you see them come and have little gatherings with chairs and they meet and I saw the one come out of his shack there and mm. one of the ones came out and it was very post-apocalyptic I mean I'm making this up entirely I have no idea maybe they knew these people maybe they didn't but it was like they'd been sheltering while this storm well, around and they'd come right. out and he was having to pick over this mountain of rubbish in order to get out of his dwelling. From my direct oh, experience right. of that Romani culture, you know, which is from Romania, this nuclear apocalypse that we're endeavouring in, they would survive. Yeah. We wouldn't. No, no, We absolutely. might, actually, because we're not that bad at in the allotment. Yeah, we oh, I'm good right. at den building. Yeah. yeah. But, but that we're going to give it a good stamp. But those guys... That's what it's saying. That it's the freedom from all of the trappings that we've become so used to. And it's so interesting that from it, lots of things can happen with this plot of land. Anything could be dreamed of there. Mm. There could be a utopia. There could be lots of bunkers there. Mm. But what will happen is a big flock of flats will come yeah. up and that will be it. Yeah. That's all it will be. Uh, 
at Conway Hall a couple of days ago, you had a performance where you were using the bull. Yes. Bullwars. Yeah. Bullwars, mm. which is an instrument, is it 80,000 years? There are some like yeah. artifacts, Paleolithic, Paleolithic examples. Yeah. And there are examples of it across all the continents, aren't there? Yeah. So mm. a Romani instrument, if you like. Romani yeah. magic mm. instrument. It's a nomadic instrument, yeah. sure. It's part of a kind of day-long symposium called Haunted Landscapes, which was mm-hmm. about magic and myth in the British Isles. And In some parts of the British Islands, boys occasionally play with a toy, which consists of a thin slat of wood tied to the end of a long piece of string, the rapid whirling of which results in a noise that is expressed in the various names given to this simple instrument. Bull roarer, booba, bummer, humming buzzer, Thunderspell, swish. Rhombus, the sound of thunder born on the air. Turndon, Brahma, Daramulan. Purere, Hua, Moth, Hori, Hori, Darambulam. Poe, the small, dark companion star of Sirius. Oro, Rora, Bull, Buzzer, Wizard, Schwerholz, Rombo, Bribbon, Burren, Schlagel, Bummer, Blue, Thunderbolt, Turbine. Well, this perfectly segues into your artwork of choice, mm. yeah. which is uh, Rachel White-Reed's House from 1993, yes. which specifically looks at the displacement of a community in Bow, where we yeah. are at the moment. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Famously, it's a cast of the house in- which was going to be demolished yeah. from the inside out, and then they scraped off the actual house from the cast. Yeah. Yep. And uh, apparently the builders, they actually left for a hole in the roof and then they sealed it. Yeah. And then the sculpture, of course, was a big topic of public consternation and debate. The reason why I like this piece a lot is that it has two lives. Rachel didn't go in there to talk about the gentrification of people being lost. She wanted a house to fill in it was an idea that she had she had no idea that the guy that was there wanted that home and never wanted to leave and shouldn't have had to leave and it was to do with the second world war the houses being bombed and then the council with their ideology like idea that they wanted a green corridor running to Mm. the new home of finance Uh, but she was not really political but that in in that she is political so political yeah she was like she knew that it was political, but it wasn't her aim. But of course, it was a natural byproduct of the piece. So I didn't want the house to be in the centre of a terrace, so that you just saw a facade. You had to, in some way, be able to sort of walk around it. So when this building came up, it was almost like a dream come true. It was a building centrally located in a park, which the park then acted as a kind of plinth for the piece. Um, just discovered. There's someone's uh, washing hanging on the line. Now, as this is supposed to be a completely empty property, 
I'm now just a little bit concerned as to whose it is. The beauty of it is that it then becomes this piece of work that has an energy and a spirit of its own, mm. regardless of her, regardless of, like, of everything. Like it's, any great it artwork. has yeah, this amazing conversation that needed to be had yeah. in the community that yeah. felt so disenfranchised and the problems probably why we're in the bunker now yeah. that uh -huh. it's so poignant like, mm. and I love the fact that it wasn't meant to be that and it ended up that's what it was and I think that's but where I, its strength yeah, is yeah but I suppose her inquiries are presumably were into a negative well, space nostalgia space nostalgic <laughs> space perhaps yeah and form and architecture and all those things which affect a city so greatly and the people mm. within the city so greatly mm. so it was always going to have a political element if just by chance that it was in Kew Gardens yeah, or something and then there was like a house that happened to be being demolished <laughs> by the council that uh -huh. she then brokered with our angel yeah. to, to have that. No, no, I don't think Would it would have had the same No, because no. East London has been in the last few decades a place where London thrived and lived, where the poor, the artists, the people that weren't so ignited in making money could live. And it's been completely changed beyond. We're living in it right now. But um, it? Well, still yeah, see the foundations of the house actually, now. It's, it has got a monument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't for housing. It. it was for the park that they. It was for the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really sad that they didn't want to keep it. It was all intertwined with the political landscape that was going on. Uh, my father was a painter, and he really got quite obsessed with this artwork yeah. and right. and painted it. It's just a. a a very dense black background with this simple form of the white house yes. painted on it but also our name Blancskjol means ah. small temp white temporary shelter I've been very careful to choose the right colour concrete for the piece um, I've used something called Locrete which is a white concrete that was actually used for repairing the white cliffs of Dover but when we made samples it wasn't quite the right colour so we've actually added a pigment to it. You kind of live and breathe sort of beneath the skin of the house and we're like these sort of little animals that have been in there um, just sort of gnawing away at the surface and getting into the woodwork and chewing it all up and spitting it out. It just seems to me that that was a very, very, very important part of the piece. Recently I've just mm. been doing a bit of research on that dwellings are an art form and not only humans make dwellings, that animals make dwellings, and, and that means that animals, other animals, other species are artists as well. Yeah, okay. In their endeavours to dwell, there is art. And she created an anti-dwelling, actually, an didn't she? Yes. <laughs> she turned a well, dwelling into she, something that couldn't be dwelled she, in she, anymore. She personified the idea of the nostalgic empty space of home and what home means for us as a society. And at the very time that she'd done that, the home was being destroyed yeah. by the political ideology of the Tories. Yeah. Now, but some of those councillors that made those decisions are probably kicking themselves because the houses around here are worth a fortune, mm. especially right where that is. That well, house would be worth millions. But they're probably also kicking themselves for, for destroying the sculpture itself. Well, as, yeah. uh, uh, that yeah, was well, another that, big, big thing. I think that? I'm glad that it's gone mm. because of mm. of I felt it was a big festering wound and an insult to the community that yeah. live in Bow. But at the same time, it was brilliant that it was made because it 
was the catalyst for this conversation to be out in the open. There's not many things that do that. Yeah. Like that monstrosity over there. Yeah. The, by Amos Kapoor. Yeah. The ridiculous iron anal whatever the hell it's called. Anal helix. Anal helix. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying and it costs so much money. And then at the same time they were stripping all the local art communities, yeah. all of their money. And it was all going to Amish's ridiculous yeah, sculpture that he didn't even like. A reminder of, of the bullshit mm. around mm -hmm. that kind of regeneration yeah. project. Home is where the heart is. Yeah. You can't get there from here. Yes. That's another Daniel Higgs, <laughs> Daniel Higgs line. You've chosen the book which I was going to put in the bunker instead of the oh, okay. way to Shakespeare. Yeah. So I'm glad that someone picked it. Oh. Um, the Drowned World the by J.G. Ballard. 1962, and he's considered to be quite prophetic in predicting the rising sea level, the predicament which we are confronted with. But also the thing I actually take from it is that there's actually quite a lot of fun to be had in this environment. It shows that perhaps there is a life after yeah. the apocalypse and although in many ways it's quite dark it's very alluring yeah they, i find the way he talk, the way he describes the heat and the yes. and the swamp and it's very alive and it pulls you in but then again it goes beyond the nostalgia of past lives but goes into the primal so the heat activates our primitive survival brain yeah, yeah. where we go then beyond the idea of cities, we're just not even talking. Yeah. The heat that's causing the, the climate to the, all the seas to rise, it's so hot that that atmosphere is what our past lives would have been like. Like so, when the dinosaurs yeah, were around, yeah. there was a you know the, the atmosphere was very different. The weather is always constantly making the societies that live in it. So yeah. every society in the past that have disappeared what will happen to us and why we might end up in a bunker is because when weather changes life stops or yeah. something else happens or different life takes yeah. over where he goes mm -hmm. further than that doesn't he they're diving in and looking for treasures and basically grave robbing aren't they of how we used to mm -hmm. with other colonial countries that we took over yeah. nicking people's past to stick into museums they're all doing that but then there's this whole gang of different people like the bone people Basically, when we talk about consciousness with Pauline's work, you're going into the primal, the root of, yeah. of human existence. Yeah. I love the paintings of Max Ernst, deep jungles, which seem like the unconscious mind exposed to daylight or to this strange half-light that you find in surrealist paintings. They seem to be painting states of mind, which I was interested in doing because the drowned world is also an attempt to sort of plunge down into the spinal column and descend into a more primeval world where we'll find our true selves, perhaps. There's something almost glamorous. You know, this I love the, 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 the female character languishing around in her the hotel room. Hotel above. room, yeah, with her dressing gowns and there's this sexual tension with her and Karen's and mm. they've kind of had this relationship and then they're both refusing to leave, aren't they? Mm. And the general's mm -hmm. like, no, we've got to go. And, and the lizard, the returning of the lizard yeah. brain, that consciousness that we got all of our nerve endings was from the reptilian yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah. The reptilian age is happening again. 
looking out from the balcony. At just before eight o'clock, parents watch the sunrise behind the dense groves of chipnose sperms, crowding over the abandoned rooms of department stores. 400 yards away on the east side of the Soon it will be too hot. Scorched, an excerpt from a performance responding to The Drown World by Blonskjol at Skronkfest 2018, an experimental music festival hosted at New River Studios, North London. You can hear the piece in full on Blonskjol's SoundCloud page. Before closing the door shut to the vault, I asked Hannah and Stephen what epitaph they would leave to the future, who and whatever that might be. I just thought so really silly, and it was just like a not dis- do not disturb sign like you have on the hotel door. <laughs> That's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's reminding me of... Um, the very start with Ivor Cutler yeah. Yeah. you've got your own beautiful <laughs> cosmos yeah. Yeah. and uh, maybe there's no point disturbing it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Apocalypse Bunker Discs you can find more deep listening from Hannah and Stephen at blonkskiol.co.uk or by seeking them out on Facebook or Instagram for future workshops, walks and performances. If you enjoyed this instalment, I recommend Charlotte Law's Meditative Picks in the next subcast. I must now depart to process their download ration over a control before the next solar flare. Under and out. Thank you.